Thanks so much for listening. Before I get into the episode, I wanted to thank today's podcast sponsor, which is Coda Luna and their baby keepsake castle. I personally just put all of my baby's memorabilia into these little keepsake castle boxes and they are so adorable functional. And if you really love organization, then you're really going to love this keepsake box. So not only is it a keepsake box, but it also includes a baby book and it has space for capturing all of the milestones of your baby's early years. And then the keepsake box itself stores all of the memorabilia that you want to keep. So baby's first socks and pacifier and the little hat that they wore when they came home from the hospital. So this keepsake castle with the baby memory book is more than just an organizational product. It's a gateway to preserving the remarkable journey of new parenthood. So take a moment to visit keepsakecastle.com today and embark on creating a lasting legacy of love and nostalgia. In today's episode, we are considering the choice of circumcision. I had the great honor of talking to Dr. Christiane Northrup, who is a visionary pioneer in women's health, a board-certified OBGYN with more than 30 years of clinical experience, former assistant clinical professor of OBGYN at the University of Vermont College of Medicine, and a three-time New York Times bestselling author. In 2016, she was named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, a group of leaders who are using their voices and talent to awaken humanity. Internationally known for her empowering approach, Dr. Northrup embraces medicine that acknowledges the unity of mind, body, emotions, and spirit, and teaches women to create health by tuning into their inner wisdom. Dr. Northrup acknowledges our individual and collective capacity for growth, freedom, joy, and balance. I hope you will find our conversation about the choice of circumcision enlightening and informative. Enjoy the show. Well, hello, Dr. Northrup. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Well, this is a subject that people need to know more about. Absolutely. So we are talking about considering the choice of circumcision. And like you said, this is a a really important topic. And this is near and dear to my heart because when I was pregnant with my second child, my son, this is something that I had never, ever thought about before. And I took almost the entire nine months of my pregnancy to consider our decision. And then just to be completely straightforward with listeners out there, this episode isn't necessarily to condone or chastise your personal decision, but I actually chose to not circumcise my son. And so just to give complete transparency about my own personal choice as a mother and Dr. Northrup, you have many, many years of expertise on this knowledge and as an OBGYN yourself, and as someone that has actually performed circumcision, So would you mind giving us just a little bit about your background and then go into kind of the overview about the facts regarding the choice? So as as an OBGYN resident, it was my job to circumcise all these baby boys. Uh, And then I learned how to do it with a Mogan and I learned how to do a Plastibel and I learned how to do the, you know, the the usual uh, stuff, all these different techniques. But I knew, I knew from the beginning that it was not medically necessary. And full disclosure, I'm a, a member of Doctors Opposing Circumcision. 
And I would try to give my patients the information. I would try to give them the medical approach to this information. I think the circumcision rate in the United States is about 60%. But at that time when I was doing it, it was above 90%. Also, it is the removal of a body part known as the prepuce. So I want to tell everybody the function of the prepuce because it is an organ. And then I want to give you the, the history of why it's even done, mostly in the United States. So the prepuce is, it protects the head of the penis and it does not retract sometimes until the boy is seven or eight. Uh, and you're going to think um, kitten, puppy or kitten eyelids, kitten eyelids. So we don't, when, when there's a newborn kitten whose eyes are not yet open, we don't go in there and pry the eyelids open of a newborn kitten. Why? Because the, uh, the mucosa there, that layer changes in time and a mucosal epithelium becomes a squamous epithelium and then they open on their own. And it is the same with the foreskin. And then we have to remember that circumcision became very popular in the United States because of uh, the, the guy Kellogg from Kellogg's Corn Flakes at his sanitarium where people went to get healthy. This was actually, circumcision was done to prevent masturbation. And I think this is an extraordinarily important point to get across that there was never a medical reason. It was more a moral reason to prevent masturbation. And then it caught on big time after the world wars. Now, what's the reason for that? Because during the war, if you're out, let's say, in the middle of the desert, and you have no water and no way to clean underneath the, the foreskin in a fully grown male, then you can get what's called phimosis and infection. Phimosis is adherent of the foreskin or the prepuce to the underlying glands penis. However, this does not happen when you have any kind of normal ability to clean anything. So in the United States, pediatricians are not taught normal male anatomy. We don't understand normal male anatomy. So what's been happening in somebody who decides to keep their child intact? So we just need to say it's intact. Okay. We don't say uncircumcised as though circumcision is the norm. And then the other thing that you're never taught, and as an OBGYN resident, I was never taught this, and I don't think any doctor is, is that the function of the prepuce and the foreskin during sexual intercourse is absolutely essential because that, uh, that very flexible erotic skin grips the rugae, the, the wrinkles in the vagina, and forms a very, very close connection with the woman's clitoral system, which is, a, again, a huge system of uh, erectile erogenous tissue in the woman. And when a man is close like that, there's more stimulation of the clitoral system and far more ability for the woman to feel an orgasm with intercourse. 
Well, it's interesting that, um, you know, Ron Goldman has that amazing website, circumcision.org, which contains pretty much everything that you need to know. And Goldman is a Jewish name. Many, many Jewish people are choosing to do a bris in a ceremony only. So you can be, you can be uh, ushered into the tribe of Abraham with maybe, maybe a little nick in, in the foreskin, the prepuce, but not removing the whole thing. It's like one of those things that women have the baby, they're given a permit to sign, a permission for circumcision. And sometimes they're coerced into it. Think about how you are postpartum. You, they could talk you into anything. You're in a total state of such vulnerability. Your insides are on the outside. Your body is the placenta for this newborn. You should, the two of you should be wrapped in good food and rest and wonder and, and all of that. And instead, they push into your, uh, is a circumcision permission form and without even thinking about it because it is so routine they just go it just it, because it's so well this is what's done this is what's done nobody even thinks about it and you're taught to trust that the doctor knows best right thank you so much for that overview you have touched on so many important aspects of this very contentious at times topic i'd like to dig into what you were just talking about which are what are the reasons that most parents choose to circumcise because the father is circumcised he needs to look like his father and uh so i'll tell you how my nephews got around that they'd be in the bathtub my daughter, my sister has three boys. When they were little, they'd be in the bathtub. They'd pull back their foreskin. They'd say, now I look like daddy. They'd push it back and say, now I look like me. I mean, all you have to do is educate them. And then it used to be, it used to be, you know, they would make fun of the intact male in the locker room because you don't look like the others. But what you can do now, what uh, what the mothers I've counseled, and I've been at this for many, many years, many decades, um, I would tell them to teach their, their little boy to be proud of being intact and notice what the others were missing. <laughs> well, I have a personal story about that because when I was considering whether to keep my son intact or to circumcise so that he would look like other family members, someone had said that oh but aren't you worried that he's going to be made fun of in the locker room and i said well first of all no that's so far away and they can just mind their own business and then second of all i actually asked our pediatrician at one of my daughter's checkup appointments my oldest and i said i asked them about their opinion on circumcision and they said about 50 percent of boys born in woodstock georgia which is a suburb of atlanta are intact. Wow. So I'm, so I'm like, there's a 50-50 chance that he's going to look like half his class and 50-50 that he's not. So for me, that completely assuaged that concern, even though I agree with you that it really, in my opinion, shouldn't be that big of a concern, but just an interesting fact from a little part of America. That's beautiful. And, you know, and it is all about how you approach it. So we really have to rethink all of this. And the religious stuff, I got a, a letter way back from a rabbi in Israel who told me, you know, to stop with what I was saying. 
because the bris, the ceremony of the bris was uh, so important to his people. But I've talked to Jewish people who say when when the bris starts, you know, half the women in the room want to faint. I mean, we so we can do you can do the ceremony, but you don't need to remove a body part. There's so much in the field of OBGYN that's nothing more than a ritual. When I started in my residency, we were shaving. We were shaving everybody's pubic hair, giving everyone an enema, draping the the birthing woman as though it was a surgical procedure. There were all these drapes so that so that the operative site was the introitus, was the place where the baby was going to. And then you used tons of betadine, you know, because this was like treated like a surgical procedure. Now we've come, we've come away since then, but we have a very long way to go. And I believe that there's a whole group of males now, which I'm thrilled about calling themselves intactivists. And I just had one on, uh, on Twitter who is doing a documentary on all of these. And so men are speaking out and there are men who have had the uh, foreskin replenishment or whatever. It's the foreskin procedure. The, the skin on the head of the shaft is a very tensile. And we know that in a pregnant woman, your, the skin of your abdomen stretches over time around your abdomen, right? And the same thing is true uh, for restoring a foreskin restoration. So there's rings and, and that kind of thing. And there are, let's be clear, there are men, adult men, who choose to undergo circumcision. And that's their choice. That's their choice. There's another, there's another uh, thing that I've seen. American women don't understand an intact penis. So they think they prefer the, and I remember Anne Lamott, whose work I always loved. I love Anne Lamott. Love her, right? But, you know, in um, Operating Instructions, a journal my my son's first year, uh, she talked about circumcising him. She said, you know, it's a much cleaner unit. And I, I love her. And I always felt bad about that particular thing, you know. That made me cringe. It makes you cringe because she's yeah. describing the intact male body as somehow not okay. And uh, I've had other women say to me that they, you know, they wished their husbands was were circumcised. And it's like, oh my God, do you, now what I do when a woman manages to have an intact male, we celebrate it. I say, oh, <laughs> You know, and there's a, there's a book called um, Sex as Nature Intended It, and it's all about the intact male. So let's talk about the risks. So can you t- please tell us about what are the actual risks in childhood as far as, you know, increased risk of UTI versus in adulthood about the higher risk of penile cancer, which is already very, very, very low to begin with? Let me give you the risks of circumcision. Okay. Bleeding to death. Infection, about one in a hundred has a problem. One in a hundred. 
Um, could you go into more details about that? Like what kind of problem, what are the risks associated with, um, you know, too much bleeding or bleeding that would cause a fatality? So you're literally creating a focus for bacteria and infection. And then more likely than infection being a problem though, is operator error. I mean, where you just have someone who doesn't know what they're doing and they cut too much off or whatever it is. So, um, and then what if you have a child with a bleeding disorder from whatever reason, and then you're looking at transfusing a baby? Yeah. As a mother that looked at all of this research and looked at both sides, because there's a lot of information out there on both sides of this camp, one of the things that I encountered was the misconception that my son might have a higher risk of getting a UTI, especially in his first year of life. So could you talk to that fact? It, it's like, okay, here's the thing. You don't cut off a normal body part to decrease risk of something that, you know, there's a million reasons for a UTI, stress, um, whatever. Medicine does not do anything related to health. It's very good at, but it does disease screening and it sees everything as a potential disease. All right, my uncle was a medical doctor. In medical school, he had his appendix out and his tonsils out. Why? They might get to be a problem sometime later on. That's the, that's the mindset because I'm afraid. What I would like to say to mothers is you need to back away from the fear narrative. Oh, this could happen. That could happen. You know, that's the women going around with Lysol. When we know darn well, it's the kids who grow up on farms and around animals and manure who have way fewer allergies, way fewer. So removing a body part for the potential risk of a UTI, which is so vanishingly rare. And so what? They're easy to treat. You can't get the foreskin back once they take it away from you. And that was a big determining factor that my husband and I decided on was I, we should not be making this decision for him. There it is. This is, you're not, you're his parents. The soul chose you to come through, but you are not his higher power. And he gets to make that decision on his own. If you want to do it later, you can do it later. And guess what? They have a good anesthesia for doing it later. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge, wisdom, experience. I think that a lot of what you mentioned is really what I was considering when I was making that decision. And I really think that the thing that parents need to hear is that it is not medically indicated. There is no medical reason to do it. And that you are the parent and you have a big responsibility about making this decision. And the risks that are out there are a lot of misconceptions and the risks are very low with keeping a male intact. So I just wanted to kind of summarize that. And here's the thing. Here's what we can say. You're forgiven if you didn't know and you were just 
forced it. You were just it. You just went along. Nobody ever told you. It's it's time. It's time for women to stand up. Yeah, it's, women it's, and men. I mean, my husband. Men. He. I mean, just to be completely honest, he was circumcised, and he said, "I'm not going to use that excuse of I need my son to look like me. I'm not going to just go with that current of culture." And so I agree. And if listeners are interested in finding out more about your research and many of the other things that you talk about. I know that you have a newsletter that comes up that folks can sign up for. How else can people get in touch with you? Uh, DrNorthrup.com has pretty much everything, the website. Uh, I do a lot of sort of nightly updates on various global health things right now on uh, Dr. Christian Northrup on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter, but I think the best way is, uh, you know, I, I keep under press and media, I keep the latest blogs that I've done, podcasts and so on. So the e-news is probably uh, the best. Okay, wonderful. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes of this podcast. Beautiful, okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you liked the episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to Finding Your Village wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, I would love it if you would take one minute and give me five stars and leave a review about the show to encourage other parents to start listening. Finally, I would love to hear from you. If you have feedback, questions, or ideas for episodes, please connect with me directly on Instagram. Follow me and DM me at Finding Your Village. You can also always send me an email at Amanda at findingyourvillagepod.com. Lastly, I just launched a monthly newsletter for Finding Your Village, and you can find that in the show notes of this episode, or if you go directly to findingyourvillage.substack.com. Thank you so much and stay safe, healthy, and connected. 